of a dream. My four little children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. U.S. forces give the nod. I'm talking about the real owners now. The big, wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. Politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interests. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table to figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers, people who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your Social Security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. If your dollar ain't shit, and it's tax to no end, calls a rich man, calls a rich man. Well, may we say, God save the Queen. because nothing will save the Governor-General. Boxing is nothing like going to war with machine guns, bazookas, hangar-aids, bomber airplanes. My intention is to box to win a clean fight. But in war, the intention is to kill, 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 and continue killing innocent people. Each time a man stands up for an ideal, or acts to improve the lot of others, or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope, and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring, those ripples build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? 
You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? There are many whites who are trying to solve the problem, but you never see them going under the label of liberals. That, that white person that you see calling himself a liberal is the most dangerous thing in the entire Western Hemisphere. He's the most deceitful. He's like a fox, and a fox is, almost, is always more dangerous in the forest than the wolf. You can see the wolf coming. You know what he's up to, but the fox will fool you. He comes at you with his mouth shaped in such a way that even though you see his teeth, you think he's smiling and taking for a friend. I can no longer <laughs> remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness. And that's why psychos run the world. Because they don't give a fuck. They don't feel guilt. They don't give a shit. They'll fucking kill anybody. You know, and nice people, we should be killing them, but we don't because we can't deal with the guilt, right? And what do psychos do? They stay in power by killing loud, nice people. Martin Luther King, loud, nice. I know he banged a bunch of broads. Who gives a fuck? Guy was fucking up there crushing it. If nice people start killing psychos, okay, maybe then you, would, you wouldn't have a swirl of trash the size of Texas in the middle of the fucking Pacific Ocean. Do we work on that now? Because there's psychos in the world, and all they end up doing is, is trying to keep improving golf equipment so these man-titted fucking cunts can keep a ball on the fairway. I put some dead in his eyes. Yeah, socialists, sociopaths, communists, colonizers, capitalists, nihilists, and Nazis. Welcome to System Failure, a no-holds-barred exploration of the global fuckery that defines our time. Over the coming episodes, we're going to examine the big scams and system failures that has our species locked in a downward death spiral. The gloves are off. Fuck these dogs, fuck these pigs, and fuck these sheep. We're going to name names, we're going to call the bullshit out wherever we see it, and we're going to fight back. It's all going to be fact-based, annotated, and verified. You're going to hear the kind of shit that got our man Assange locked up indefinitely from a range of heavy-hitting, unapologetic truth-tellers. Today we delve deep into the conflict in the Middle East with a Palestinian woman and an Israeli man watching on from the sidelines as this conflict goes from bad to genocide. Our first guest is Sarah, a Palestinian woman who grew up in New York City where, get this, she married a Jewish man, Caleb, a mad surfer and swellian. Sarah and Caleb are now on the border of Jordan and Palestine watching the conflict unfold while much of Sarah's family remains trapped in Gaza amidst the Israeli onslaught. Later we'll hear from Yotam, a young, peace-loving Israeli surfer from Tel Aviv, just 70 clicks up the coast from Gaza. First, Sarah. Nice to see you. Likewise. How are you going over there? It's going. Um, we got to 
Jordan about a week ago. So it's, it actually feels good to be kind of closer to everything that's going on, even though it's, you know, it's very touch and go right now. Yeah. Can you paint the scene where you're at? Yeah. I'm in Amman, Jordan, which is the capital of Jordan. Um, I think it's like 50 kilometers or so from the border with Israel. So it's, it's really close. Um, you can actually like see into the West bank from a lot of the Hills around this, around the city. Um, so yeah, we're here. We actually had a Palestinian friend who was getting married. Um, so it was going to be a big wedding, but as things sort of develop, they sort of this week. Um, and yeah, we're just spending a little more time. I have family here. So seeing them and just sort of watching things unfold, um, from a lot closer than, than New York city, which is where we, we are normally. Yeah, that's right. You're married to Caleb, a, uh, a listener of our program and a Jewish guy, which is, makes you one of the, the rarest couples on earth, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how rare we are, but, um, that's the only pair like us that I know of. Um, so yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a big fan of your podcast and he's a big surfer and he's also um, very passionate about um, the liberation of the Palestinians. So that's kind of um, something we have in common. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a rad thing. One of the uh, one of the things I've picked up from the coverage uh, on networks like Democracy Now! is just how many Jewish people there are um, in, in favor of Palestinian liberation. Uh, you got the Jewish Voices for Peace there staging major rallies in the States. Um, and you got, you know, super heavy hitting Jews like Gabor Mate, John Stewart, um, coming out swinging for the Palestinian people too. So um, there's a lot of support in the Jewish community. That's not something that the mainstream media likes to reflect on. Uh, they they kind of okay. like to polarize this as if it is uh, Arabs versus Jews or Palestinians versus Jews, but but that's not the case, is it? No, absolutely not. Um, they also like to portray it as Muslims versus Jews, which is another incorrect portrayal. Um, there's a lot of Palestinians who are Christian and and of other um, sects and beliefs, and obviously atheists, atheist Palestinians, all of those. So it's not a religious conflict. It's not an ethnic conflict, even. It's a it's just a case of like colonialism and like efforts to decolonize. So yeah, so yeah, absolutely. I, I'm glad that you're seeing the coverage of. Um, of those um, Jewish allies that we have who are really, you know, I, I commend them. Um, they are dealing with grief and shock of, you know, the, the way that they've been affected by violence. Um, but a lot of them didn't even miss a beat. They recognize that that um, that grief um, and that fear was being weaponized to sort of like warmonger and um, justify what um, could turn into and is turning into a genocide. So, yeah, there's been the Jewish Voice for Peace is like a great example of people who by the thousands and thousands are mobilizing every single day to try and stop um, what's unfolding in Gaza. Can you um, give us a bit of an insight into your, your own family's history in this region? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my, my family is from originally from what we call in Arabic, we call it Adachin, which means the inside, um, which is how we like to refer to the territory that's now occupied by the state of Israel, or is now, you know, if you look on a map, most maps will say that that territory is Israel. Um, but to us, it's just, it's occupied land. Um, so it's we are from the south originally, not very far from where um, like the Hamas infiltrators um, staged their attacks. So really close by. Um, it's a small village called Ebdis, which was completely ethnically cleansed and demolished um, in 1948. So I have relatives who, who were there when the Zionist armies came in, drove them out. Um, I have relatives who were killed 
I have a relative who was actually one of the very first people in history to be killed by a barrel bomb. Barrel bombs weren't used until the Zionist army um, sort of like debuted them during their um, colonization of Palestine. So very violent history, a um, lot of trauma, a lot of suppressed trauma, um, displacement. So from there, my grandparents um, settled or I guess sort of semi-permanently settled with um, some Bedouins um, just a few miles from their village um, between Ebdis and Gaza. Um, they stayed there for about seven or eight years, just sort of like sharecropping, just scraping by. They had a few more kids, you know, different Bedouins took them in. Um, a lot of my family did flee all the way to Gaza at that time or out to Jordan and beyond, but uh, my grandparents specifically wanted to stay as close as possible. Um, they were farmers, uh, they really loved their land, and they really believed, you know, any day now we'll get to return. So they waited seven or eight years nearby, and when it, things became clear that they weren't going to be able to return anytime soon, um, my grandmother moved to Gaza, and my grandfather went down to the Gulf to try and earn money. Um, he was a farmer, he tried to, a, a couple different trades, he tried to become a barber, he drove trucks, he was a peddler, you know, just trying to make any money to send back to my, my grandmother and my his four kids in Gaza. So my father grew up in Gaza until 1967. Um, and then there was a, an, another war um, in which um, the Israeli army came through and occupied all of Gaza, all of the West Bank. Um, and yeah, at, at that time, it became really frightening, violent. You know, there was Gaza was cut off um, from the rest of the world. There was they were really limiting who could come in and out, and the family was split inside outside. So at that point, they decided to emigrate to Saudi Arabia, which is where my father spent um, the latter part of his childhood. Wow! And how did but, you guys yeah, end? I, yeah, yeah, and then on sorry, to the sorry. states at some point, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I actually still have a lot of family in Gaza. Um, and then um, my father's the only one who really kind of made it further than, I mean, I have a couple of families scattered in, in Europe, but most of them are in Gaza, in Jordan, Saudi Arabia. But my dad did um, have a dream of continuing his, his education. He came to the United States for a master's program and stayed for a while, got his citizenship. Um, my siblings and I were all born there. And then our childhood was split between um, the Middle East and uh, the Chicago area. And what reports have you had from your family on the ground in Gaza? How how are they faring in all this? So it's been really difficult to even hear from them. Um, unfortunately, um, since you know day two or three, Israel cut off electricity, food, water, gas. Um, it's made it really difficult for them to even keep their phones charged and even be in touch. Um, I do know that at least one entire family in my extended family has been killed. Um, their house was bombed and five of them died, including the two parents and three children. And then two young children survived with severe injuries. Um, and last I heard, they were being treated in a hospital. As we know, hospitals in Gaza aren't safe either. Um, so we're hoping for more updates soon, but that was the last we heard. Um, I have other family who was displaced um, from the North um and yeah i have a few family that members close family members including um an aunt that i'm very close to that i haven't heard from in days and days um so we're really just it's really been agonizing you know it's like hard to sleep it's hard to think about anything else um so yeah lots and lots of family that we have a little bit um lost touch with at this point oh, that's awful man i'm so sorry to hear that 
Um, and what was your reaction when you heard w- what Hamas had done and, and when this, this latest stage of the conflict uh, had kicked off? Yeah, um, it was really hard to believe at first. Um, my whole life, Gaza has been this um, sort of besieged, sealed entity that, you know, I always dreamed of going to visit. Um, my father told me, like, stories about growing up right right on the Mediterranean. You know, it's this tiny, it's really this tiny enclave. Um, and he was just this little, like, ragamuffin who would sneak away and try and jump in the ocean, you know. Um, in another life, maybe he would have been a surfer. Um, like he absolutely loves the sea more than anything. Um, he just all had all these beautiful stories. You know, he grew up with hundreds of his relatives all around him. He was too little to understand that they were all refugees. You know, I don't want to romanticize it, but he was a child. Um, and so, you know, I always kind of longed to go back, longed, you know, to go back, you know, hopefully under the circumstances of freedom to meet all of these relatives that I'd only known, you know, through, through phone screens or through family stories. Um, anyway, um, you know, it's been almost two decades since Gaza has been like completely cut off from the world embargoed, like completely. Um, so I had been to Palestine, you know, in March of this year, and I came back really depressed because it felt like the situation become even more untenable. Just violence was ramping up. Settler violence was huge and like, you know, record breaking in the West Bank. Settlers just killing Palestinians. Settlements, you know, growing at rapid paces like the, the Israeli government has gotten more right wing than ever. It's like the most right-wing Israeli government in history, um, with some some very high-ranking officials like openly using genocidal language, um, making things really tough even for Palestinians who are inside Israel as a minority there. Um, so basically, I had the sense that like something violent was imminent. Um, you know, we've had many antifaldas, um, and, and you know they've all been very violently suppressed, and, and Israel's more militarized than ever. Um, it has like a greater and greater like surveillance presence, um, higher and higher tech- technological like um, mechanisms of control. So I just thought, you know, human beings cannot bear this kind of oppression indefinitely. There will be some sort of uprising, like it's cyclical. It's going to come again. And I'm just afraid this time it'll be more violent than ever. Um, but I never expected it would come from Gaza. I think most people you talk to will say they were surprised to hear like Hamas was able to break out of Gaza. So I was in total shock to, that's a long answer to my question, to your question. Um, I was in total shock. I had never been in a situation where I'd heard of Israeli deaths in any kind of numbers <laughs> that exceeded our own. You know, in, in, in the immediate aftermath, there were, we were hearing hundreds of Israelis dead and the Hamas, you know, fighters still at large. And I thought this is, this is unprecedented. And I think that word is thrown around a lot in the last, you know, 10 years, we say a lot of things are unprecedented, but this truly is something new. And I immediately just felt terror. Um, I felt sad for the civilian lives lost, but I instantly also knew that they would be weaponized and that the, the backlash would be just completely out of proportion, completely in violation of international law, like, Gaza, they talk they talk about mowing the lawn they bomb Gaza every few years they kill hundreds or thousands with no repercussions so now that they had you know they were calling it their 9-11 moment immediately and we saw what happened with the United States in 9-11 you know decades literal decades of war hundreds of thousands of dead so I just saw I saw that coming so it made it very complex to feel like like we we know no one's gonna gonna you know the mainstream media is not going to take the time to understand that this is a you know, a violent uprising in response to a violent reality that's been ongoing for close to a century now. Um, we know that it's going to be portrayed as terror, like terrorism in a vacuum, 
and that the repercussions are going to be utterly violent and and the cost is going to be paid by civilians in Gaza. I really appreciate all that context because that's one thing this issue is lacking in the media is the broader historical context, even the recent historical context of the last 16 years of increased uh, settler expansion uh, in Palestine. Um, yeah, I mean, just touching on some of those those quotes from leading Israeli figures uh, you mentioned, uh, I've got a few of them here. Uh, this one's from Daniel Hagaria, an Israeli army spokesman uh, who said on the 10th of October, we are dropping hundreds of tons of bombs on Gaza. The focus is on destruction, not accuracy. Uh, we've got here mm. from the Israeli prime minister, the, the right-wing Israeli prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, we will turn Gaza into an island of ruins. That was on October 8th. Uh, Ariel Kalna, uh, an Israeli politician from the Likud party, says... Uh, now there is only one goal, Nakba, which is a uh, expulsion of the Palestinians, a Nakba in Gaza that will dwarf the Nakba of 1948, the one that uh, saw a lot of your, your family members killed and displaced. Uh, this one is awful. Ezri Yashin, a veteran of the Israeli army uh, who was speaking to army reservists following the attack, he said, wipe out their families, their mothers and their children. These animals must not be allowed to live any longer. Um, so I guess like the hatred is so intense, but, you know, reading between the lines, it also looks like any other conflict that's been waged by a colonial, uh, power, uh, in that it's all old white men sending young men, uh, to die in, in, in conflict. And, uh, it's a war fought over land as, and resources as they all are. Um, and, you know, an another bit of context that hasn't been widely reported is that Israel played a pivotal role in creating Hamas uh, to oppose the PLO, Yasser Arafat's organization. Um, and, and this is just straight out of the, the kind of American, uh, European colonial handbook, backing one side in a conflict, destabilizing regions, you know, fl uh, giving resources and and funding to to one side of the conflict. So in a lot of ways, it's the purest form of karma what is unfolding right now, uh, and, and and so similar uh, to you know, the way America resourced the Taliban and uh, the Taliban in turn turned on them. And so you know, as uh, as unique as this conflict is, or as unique as this conflict is often sold to us as it really fits a, a much broader pattern of uh yeah this colonial and, and neo-colonial fuckery that is uh you know been perpetrated against weaker or lesser resource nations for uh frick man i don't know 100 200 years how far do you want to go back yeah absolutely i really uh, yeah i appreciate that context those, those quotes are obscene um but it's really just an instance of saying the quiet part out loud um, I think there was just this unbridled sense um, in the fervor of um, the, the aftermath of the first few days where people really just felt no, absolutely no need. And rightfully, they felt no need to filter themselves whatsoever. I mean, you had Joe Biden coming right behind them, backing them up, saying this is a battle between good and evil, just the absolute um, binary. You know, ben Benjamin Netanyahu calling us the children of darkness he said this is a battle between the children of light and the children of darkness which i feel like he got out of the bible or something um so yeah i but i do completely agree that um this is 
this can be read in the context of colonial history writ large. Um, it's just it's just mind boggling the way that um, people feel determined to repeat the same sort of crimes and the same sort of um, oppressions that we know looking backwards to condemn in the historical context. But in our present day context, people don't don't refuse to see the parallels or are unwilling to see the parallels. I continue to go back and forth with like our people unable to see it or are they refusing to see it? But um, but yeah, and I think that's why we've also seen um, a groundswell of grassroots support all around the world by folks who have been colonized or are currently facing colonialism in its different forms um, because people recognize people who 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 can read a read the colonial subtext they recognize that this is we've seen this before and um, it's our chance it's a gener this generation's chance to refuse to let history repeat themselves itself on their watch um so we we just hope that 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 will continue and that people will continue to be able to see it. And to your point about Hamas, yes, they Israel absolutely did see Hamas as a useful um, route to sort of try and divide and, and rule the Palestinians to try and undermine the PLO and other um, more moderate forms of um, Palestinian liberation struggle because they don't want it to succeed. Um, the United States, Israel, colonial powers, they will do anything. They will completely contradict common sense, logic, and even their own like safety concerns um, of their own citizens in order to find any way but liberation decolonization to solve their problems. Mm. And at the end of the day, uh, for a country like America and Israel, there's just way more money in war than in peace. You know, it, it kind of goes back to that those Orwellian statements, uh, you know, this kind of constant state of war, perpetual war. It's such a, you know, it's such a economic boon. Uh, the great man, the great martyr, Julian Assange made the point in, in, uh, I think it's the war you don't see John Pilger's documentary about when you really analyze the economics of war. It's a place where it's just a place to wash money, uh, and, and mm -hmm. generate obscene amounts of revenue um, and, and you said mind boggling, the mind boggling thing about this, it's, it's the irony. I find the irony so stupefying that Israel is responsible for this. Uh, like, you know, the Nazis, you know, Israel is created out of, uh, refugees from the Holocaust. Uh, and why, what were the Nazis doing? They were seizing land, uh, in Europe. That was th their stated goal. And, uh, and exterminating or ethnically cleansing a people uh, who then ended up in the Middle East who are now seizing land and attempting to ethnically cleanse a people. It's it's mind-boggling. Yeah, it's really tragic. I think, um, you know, at the top you mentioned the Jewish folks who are, who are fighting this, and I think um, it's absolutely a tragedy, a travesty for the Jewish people to have a beautiful ancient religion be so co-opted by something so truly warped and evil, um, not to use Joe Biden's language of, of, of good and evil, but um, it is, it's absolutely um, just, it's, it's, it's a travesty to have them repeat, um, to have the Zionist project be a repetition um, in so many ways, such an echo of exactly, as you said, the same oppression that were perpetrated on these folks. Um, and, 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 you know, the Nazi atrocities did begin with language, which is why we need to keep on be raising the alarm about the way that that 
folks are using their language talking about um, Palestinians as animals, as evil. I think the uh, war on terror, the post 9-11 rhetoric is just being revived and amplified right now. And um, and we just, we really need to be careful because genocide begins with words. Um, and we've seen, you know, you mentioned the second Nakba calling for a second Nakba. Um, for people who don't know, the Nakba is what Palestinians call 1948. It means catastrophe. And it is the ethnic cleansing of mass amounts of Palestinians. So, Hey, I'm sorry. That was our internet. Yeah, no worries. Uh, you were explaining the Nakba. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Nakba is um, what Palestinians call the 1948 um, catastrophe. That's what it means in 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 Arabi. Um, it's the same. It's the same moment that Israel calls its its uh, war of independence. We call it the Nakba because the majority of our population was ethnically cleansed and displaced over a roughly 500. Towns, villages um, were ethnically cleansed, um, including my family's. Um, so yeah, so the idea that that Israeli um, politicians and officials are openly calling for a second Nakba, they're calling like, can you imagine someone calling for a second Holocaust or a second partition? Like, it does boggle the mind. To your point, and uh, I mean, in some ways, at least they're being honest about it because it, it, it's been ongoing for the last sixteen years in, in a gradual sense, right? Like, um, we've seen increased settler uh activity and expulsion in the West Bank, and uh, this is essentially probably the reason why this is why this has happened, isn't it? Just the uh, aggressive um land seizures has created this. So, yeah, I mean, what is, what's the way out of it? Like, what's the, what is the, what are the baby steps towards peace? Uh, what can the international community do? Places like Australia and elsewhere? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that. It, we we Palestinians have been saying that the Nakba never really ended. It's an ongoing um, project of ethnic cleansing. Um, the the Zionist project has always been, you know, from the from the 1920s, even the 1890s, when the Zionist project was first getting um, started by some of the the first Zionist thinkers and writers. They were talking openly. This was the age of imperialism, so they were talking talking openly about the need to colonize, and they were comparing their project to the colonies in India and the United States saying, you know, the Arabs aren't going to give up their land easily. Just look at the Native American, just look at the Mexican, you know, they they all fought, even though they're savages, they understand that we're trying to take their land and there, and there could be no coexistence. So if you look back um, at, at folks who ended up being, you know, major leaders in the Zionist parties, like Zev Jabotinsky, he, he said there can be no no coexistence. So, so the project of Israel has never been able to stomach any Palestinian presence. They want all the land and none of the people, you know, very straightforward textbook um, settler colonialism. So this will not end until Zionism is stopped. Um, Zionism just by definition is a supremacist ideology that does not believe in coexistence. Um, so I think um, the baby steps that you were asking, um, Continuing to call representatives, you can call your representative every day if you live in in a state um, in which that's sort of how the government's set up. So flood your representatives' phones, 
um, continue to protest, use your social media or whatever platform you have to continue to speak out because they're continuing to try and cut off. There's been an incredible amount of censorship um, towards voices, um, you know, who are who are voicing their um, solidarity with Palestinians and specific and in, in particular Palestinians themselves. In the U.S., we've had conferences canceled. We've had accounts shut down. We've had the Anti-Defamation League labeling people as extremists and terrorists just for calling for decolonization and liberation. So if you have a platform, especially if you have privilege by being not Palestinian or by being white or some such, um, please, you know, amplify amplify this, um, I guess, the truth, the facts. You know, we don't need you to become an ideologue. Just talk about the facts. Talk about the disproportionate violence. Talk about the history. Um, it speaks for itself, truly. Um, and then the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement has been alive and well for years now. It's a nonviolent civil resistance tactic um, modeled after the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. And folks can Google um, and easily find, you know, the companies that we're calling on people to boycott. Specifically, right now, Hulu and Disney has, has been taking a hit because many people they're, they're on the list of um, companies that profit from apartheid um, and occupation in Israel. So they've actually been taking a hit. Um, so you know, there's some ground being gained there. And you know, from a materialist perspective, you know, money. You know, you mentioned whether it's money and war. Well, economic tactics are some of the most effective, unfortunately. We can't really appeal to the conscience of, of the oppressors most of the time, but people feel it in their wallets. So, um, yeah, I just encourage people to, to do that. Follow accounts like Nora Erekat, follow the Palestinian youth movement. They have amazing resources. Um, Mohammed El Kurd. Um, these are the kind of folks that can continue to like from the day in day out perspective, you know, hour by hour point you towards the right facts, the right news and um, ways that you can help um, amplify their voices and, and the cause of liberation. Um, Cause we really believe the liberation of Palestine is part of a global project of decolonization and liberation. So we want all people to be free. It's not, it's not about being Palestinian. It's about being anti-imperialist, anti-apartheid. And that, that goes across the board. Amazing. Well said, Sarah. Really appreciate your time. Uh, and I wish uh, you, your people and, and everyone in that region, nothing but peace and love. Thank you so much. Thank you for um, using your platform this way. And um, yeah, I hope we can speak again someday under better circumstances. But I really appreciate this conversation, all your thoughtful questions and research. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll talk again when Palestine is free and very soon. Now we're going to hear from Yodam, an inspiring young surfer caught in the crossfire between a warmongering and, in his words, fascist government and the unforgivable terrorist activity of Hamas. Mate, thank you so much for taking this call. And yeah, good to see you. You're safe and happy and healthy. How are you feeling? Yeah, um, super emotional few weeks. Um, yeah, that Saturday really felt like a whole five days or four or five days. Um, it's actually funny. I'm, I've been telling people uh, that I've been volunteering since like the fifth or sixth day. Then when I dial it back in my memory, I realized it was actually the next morning. And uh, just this is how long this uh, Saturday felt. And uh, yeah, luckily really healthy and uh yeah ready to do everything we need to do here 
volunteering, what was your role? So first morning, um, there was like a big meeting in like a city square. People just buying everything for the sending food, medical supplies, um, sanitary supplies, um, like shampoo and stuff to the families, to the soldiers. And I've been there for like six hours. It was super unorganized. And uh, I've been there like for a few hours. And then I don't remember if it was the next day or two days after it. But, but uh, I joined uh, something that, that is called like uh, a war room. It's like one single uh, word in Hebrew. And uh, this is like way more organized thing, uh, getting people what they need, exactly what they need, not more like sending uh, a lot of people things they don't need and just gets them, gets it to them in like a few hours. So I'm, I'm like the packing packages and sending them and, you know, this kind of thing. Mm. And I've been doing it uh, ever since. And so what was your reaction when you heard what Hamas had, had done and, and, you know, how close were you to it? Did you have any friends or family who were victims or involved or, or, or witnessed what happened? So I guess I would put it like, uh, nobody in my close first circle has had any injuries, uh, or, or, or witnessed the horrible things, but, uh, you know, right outside that first circle, it's, you know, from every corner. Um, so yeah, it feels pretty close, although I'm super happy that everybody I know is alive. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I've been, I'm hearing the stories from everybody, everybody yeah, around a- me. It's a surreal situation, uh, given that the attack went down at, at a music festival early in the morning. Oh, man, it's a sickening thought. You know, I'm sure that uh, I've definitely been at festivals similar to this. I've, I've been at festivals similar to this with a lot of Israeli people in, in Cambodia and in Australia. And just to think, like, bearing witness to that at any time would be like horrifying beyond belief but you know given like you know at a rave like people are high on mdma and lsd and stuff like this and, and this unfolds in in that kind of setting it's it's unimaginably traumatic yeah yeah i, I want to say uh thank you for the compassion because i didn't really know like what news everybody is receiving i like i was kind of afraid i'm going to have to defend myself you know this is the kind of reality we live here in um but i'm happy to hear uh yeah the compassion and uh yeah i guess i want to get into a little bit the like what made me reach out to you because it's, it's kind of a special thing for me because i don't normally involve myself uh in social media i'm kind of a introvert in that perspective um but i I told you in my message that a big part of it is because of surfing you know and uh 
what it represents, of course, and the closeness I feel and the appreciation I have for uh, your your work. And, uh, you know, the social media presence and, and uh, you know, what you can upload is... Uh, is a really bad way, I think, of communication. And uh, I felt like, at least in the first few days, I saw a couple of things that you posted and, you know, it made me like my stomach turn because I felt like until now, I I, uh, I really, um, I agreed with like maybe a hundred percent of the things you said. And uh, I felt like I should breach this gap of uh, social media and uh you know try to at least myself like make this con communication happen this way instead of you know each one of us being like a different wormhole of this you know news mm. not you know never ending news and uh yeah so the thing i feel that made me like disappointed or sad about it is uh I see now in the past few days, like, as you, you know, uh, learn more about this, I'm sure your perspective broadens, but at, at least the first things I saw made me think, you know, maybe it's not true, but it made me think that you are believing that uh, my country, my government's approach and uh, the apartheid that has been going on and uh, a lot of true things um, that this is the cause um, for the attack and that this is the the thing we should stop to to end this war and this is connected to the free palestine movement which uh, i have to say i've been you know participating in here in tel aviv um we've been going to protest for a year straight since the last uh, elections and i've been in the group saying free palestine but uh, now this after this Saturday, you know, there is so much more context. And I, I felt like uh, a person that is, you know, peace going and uh, searching for for peace. Um, can, uh, you know, can participate in this free Palestine movement like I did. But uh, the, the way I see it now. It's not. It's not helping. Uh, it's not helping go towards peace or go towards ending this conflict because the way I see it now, and with all of this hate towards Israel all around the world, it gives more and more um, power to our fascist uh, government to say, "Look, we are hated all around. It's not only." where we live it's all around the world we need to make a big statement to show anybody not to mess with us like this is the reality here so i feel like of course i understand the huge devastation personally for people who are connected you know to gaza to the to the palestinian people in israel it's it's unbelievably horrible but uh we need to be i feel like this is the time to be tactical and uh, we need to be very, very uh, careful with what we, you know, wish for. And uh, I guess I would just love to see, like you've been, you know, I, I've been seeing more of that from you. 
Um, I'd like to see people who are really searching for peace to support, you know, the people trying to, like, we, we understand here that the most important thing is to get rid of this government first thing, like nothing is going to get solved with this government, with this corruption, like it's just never ending. Um, so I just, I'm not seeing, you know, I'm just seeing these two sides um, and I'm not seeing anybody support like people who actually want to, want to do the step, like the right step, mm. uh, like the first step. And uh, yeah, just wanted to get that off my chest. And, oh uh, man, yeah. I, I really appreciate that, brother. And uh, everything you said is spot on. And I have to make this completely clear that my beef is not with Israeli people. It's not with Jewish people, obviously. I mean, there's so many people uh, in Israel. Uh, there are so many Jews who are opposed to this aggression, the the kind of apartheid state, the, the settler expansion in Palestine. Uh, and you know, ultimately what I want is for people like yourself to be safe and, and feel safe. And with governments like Netanyahu's government and this uh, ag aggressive kind of land seizure that that's occurring in Palestine for the last decade or, or more, it, it's just making you uh, and everyone in the region completely unsafe. But this is the thing, man, like, you know, this Israel-Palestine conflict that's happening right now, it's part of a, a broader pattern. And I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Like, this is how it works. It, it's a, a perpetual state of war. It's, uh, you know, the washing of money through the military-industrial complex. This is what right-wing governments the world over do. Uh, and, and really, like, this is reeks of, of America more than anything. They've been doing this everywhere from Central America to Southeast Asia, uh, yeah. for for fifty, like I don't know, since since the end of World War Two, and and I'm convinced that man, the United States history will look upon their successive governments uh, like history looks upon the Nazis. Like I think they have as much, if not more, blood on their hands. And they're simply using uh, the Israeli military and, and these kind of fascist uh, politicians like Netanyahu as pawns to carry out uh, their interests, which is yeah. nothing more than it, it's just about constant war, uh, selling arms and uh, yeah, just this kind of colonial, neo-colonial expansion. And it puts ordinary people like you, me and everyone else at risk. And, and that that's what it's always been about, man. Like these, it's always old white men sending young men to die in battle and they never fucking fight. They always talk so strong and, and tough about uh, all these things that uh, young men should feel and do for their nation, but they will never do it themselves. You're right. I agree with what you said. And, uh, and I guess you see Israel is like, and it's, it's a perspective that is, you know, it's really hard to have it from here, but I really see it uh, clearly with your, you know, speaking. Uh, Israel is a part of this, you know, big, is like, yeah, the way I see it is like a big, uh, is a, the colony of the United States in the Middle East. And I guess that's a good way to look at it. But uh, from right here, you know, it's, ah, there's so much, you know, with the Jewish identity, 
uh, the Jewish and Israeli story that is is important in this context because never mind all the you know corruption and the things going on behind the scenes, the money being exchanged, like people have been trying to like to live with this um, for many, many, many years. And uh, it's crazy that, uh, you know, this country is really, really young. Uh, I'm the third generation here. And uh, I guess that's what new countries do, you know, like it's crazy to say, but it just feels you know, yeah, it's really, I, I don't have much hope for the future, but uh, I guess that's another reason why I felt like I need to reach out because you know, I, I was supposed to be traveling the world, surfing by my own. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of afraid, like, I'm afraid to do it now. And uh, a little part of it is the is the hate that I see on the news. I know that's not the most people I know, but uh, another part of it is like, how can I leave this place when it's it needs my help so much? The people who have, you know, who have survived are lucky to not uh, not get traumatized physically. Um, I feel like I need to stay here now, and uh, you know, I'm kind of not really thinking about surfing anymore. Uh, so. I feel as the conversation about the big, big picture that is going on here is important, like, and it's obvious for people like us, um, you know, I feel like, I feel like it's, it's still not, I'm not there yet. Like, I'm still like trying to, you know, to understand who we are really dealing with here and uh, what is the, like, what is the main objective of the government? How's the future look like? How how are we gonna prepare? Um, and you know, really thinking about the the past five years or four year four years, we had five elections in those, and I'm really thinking about those those years that led to this moment. You know, I can only imagine the culture of aggression and, and hatred and anger that you're surrounded by in Israel right now and how difficult that must be um, being a young man who was protesting for, for, for peace in the Middle East and, and, and taking up the the fight, let's say for Palestine. I mean, uh, but you're in, you're in good company, man. Like there are so many heavy hitting Jews who are, in exactly your position who have the exact yep. same view uh dr gabor dr gabor mate the ayahuasca uh holocaust survivor trauma specialist uh is really? one you know he, he he believes exactly what you believe i heard uh him talking about when he uh heard israel was being established like he's that old that he, he kind of was alive for the establishment uh, or, or just after, you know, and he was, he was so happy to see um, Jews get, get their own home and, and nation state. And then he traveled to Israel and he saw what it came at the expense of, i.e. Palestinian people. And he says he cried for weeks. He, 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 yeah. what he saw was exactly what he experienced at the hands of the Nazis. The irony was, was devastating to him. It, it devastated him. 
Uh, and, and then you have uh, guys like John Stewart, the American comedian. Uh, you have like uh, Jewish voices for peace. You, you have uh, many descendants of Holocaust survivors who are ropeable at, at this kind of settler expansion uh, in, in Palestine. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's like the, you know, it's really like the the child getting molested by a man growing up to be a molester, you know? It's it's the story here. Like, yeah, it's clear to me. That's perfectly put. Yeah, it's the cycle of trauma spinning out of control in, in, in a downward spiral. And it always goes like this, whether it be uh, on a grand military scale or, or, or on just the, the scale of, of inner city uh violence that i grew up in you know victims of violence become perpetrators of violence and on and on it goes uh and it takes very courageous strong and disciplined people to step outside of that cycle it's not easy but it must be done i really really agree and uh you know um there is you know when i actually go out in the to the world and i meet people and I see most of them don't really care, you know, where I come from and I don't need to explain to them how crazy my government is. Just not like that. Um, But, you know, this government, it really, it made here a very problematic generation now and uh, with this settlement uh, uh, policy and... uh, like I told you in my message, I was kind of against it until what happened on Saturday, which is kind of interesting. Like I was against giving up those spaces because I felt really afraid that the border will be uh, at Jerusalem, which is really, it's like uh, one hour east of Tel Aviv. And then you'd have another border one hour uh, south of Tel Aviv. So it's really, you know, it's crammed in. And uh, it's not because... I was hoping for, you know, a uh, good neighborhood meant. I, I just knew that it's going to it's going to it's going to look bad, like it's going to have a lot of violence in it. And I didn't want it to be so close to me. But after this Saturday that I saw. You know, I, I feel like everybody in this country is traumatized, even by only watching the news, because you hear and see people like you meet every like people you meet every day, you hear their stories and. uh now, after this Saturday, the last Saturday, um, I really believe we should give, like, our main objective is to, should be to give up those spaces back to the Palestinians and, you know, just separate our, ourselves from them, hope for peace, maybe try to, you know, better the education, the everything we can over there to, you know, build their peaceful generation. And uh, I, I don't hear nobody talking about it. Like, I, I, I don't see anybody who this, you know, I feel like I'm one of the only people I, like in my circle who changed opinion, like to decide after this event. You know what I mean? Like most left people went really, really far right after this uh, because of, you know, because of trauma, because of uh, anxiety. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, the way out of trauma, 
education is it. It really is. Like, and, and having the tools to help you mediate and work through your trauma, that's all there is really. And and can you scale it up and, and do it on a national and regional scale? Of course you can. You know, if there's a will, there's a way. But yeah. and there is no, money, you know. There's no will. There's no there's no money in peace. That's what this is about, man. And look, like fuck. I was just watching some Muhammad Ali clips and you know, one of my idols, Ken Kesey, uh an early LSD kind of exponent. These guys famously refused to fight in wars. Uh, they, they, you know, they were draft dodgers uh, or whatever you want to call them. But ultimately, they used to say very simply, Ken Kesey, his quote was, just say, just turn around and say, fuck it. Like, just don't feed, don't, don't feed either side. Just, just you, you are <laughs> the, the most powerful thing everyone can do, he believed, was simply to turn their back on conflict and anger and aggression. Don't even protest. Just refuse to participate. Same like Gandhi. Gandhi was like, I'm not fighting for anything. I'm just going to sit down here on the street. We're all going to sit down. And if you want to beat someone who's sitting down, like, and the British, they did that for a little bit, but you can't, you can't beat peaceful people uh, for very long before uh, you just have a crisis of conscience. So, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but this is what I understand you. I understand you completely. And this is really, you know, this is something people should talk about. But unfortunately, here it's just impossible, man. Like those, like it's impossible yet. Nobody's, nobody's talking future. Nobody's talking 20 years. What do we do with those kids? You know, don't have parents anymore. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, those people slaughtered at the, those uh, villages where people you know participating in in the protest with me like those peaceful people you know this is really really important communities like you know that let people in from gaza to to work the fields there and have you know and go to buy their vegetables in gaza when they can when it when it was quiet 30 years ago and uh so it's it's just so crushing, you know, because obviously we have a part in in uh, creating this Hamas monster. Hamas, I'm not saying Hamas monster, but uh, you know, it's just for the people who who this hit close to, it's just impossible to see right now. Like they just they can't believe it. Like they can't move on, and I'm not, you know. I'm really struggling to believe it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna happen soon that people will start talking about you know peace again and uh here the internet drops out so we had to pick up the chat on a different line yeah I guess I've been uh talking about um how crazy it is to believe that um the the ones most affected by this attack. And uh, I guess, you know, I want to get into a little bit, if it's okay, uh, like how lucky I am to to have this perspective and the privilege to to want to want both, both sides to be, um, to have a good future. And 
because I feel, you know, this is a good turning point back to surfing because uh, this is a lot of what surfing represents for me, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, like, and surfing has such a great history in that region. I think it was uh, Doc Paskowitz, uh, you know, w was taking surfboards there and, and giving them to, to Palestinian uh, youth and you know th there's no place for fucking war in in surf culture we've been dodging war and 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 heckling the warmongers since surf cultures ever existed it's it's one of our greatest attributes as a culture is to fuck war exactly and, and fuck the pigs that want to fight it there's never an excuse man uh and i, I was saying to you off air like you know i would like to extend an invitation on behalf of the swellians uh if you can get a ticket out of there man you, you're welcome to post up down here in baggettville with me we'll surf south wall and, and balliner and elsewhere and uh <laughs> I, i'm going to include uh your instagram in, in the show notes if you like and and encourage other swellians to, to offer you a, a couch or a, a a place to sleep if that is your desire to get out of israel and, and chase waves around the world as you mentioned because sometimes that's that's the best thing that you can do is to simply like ken casey said uh just turn around and say fuck it and, and not feed any more energy into either side of the conflict uh, just take the gandhi route and go surfing Although Gandhi didn't surf, but you know what I mean. Yeah, man. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's really, really good to hear. And I, uh, you know, you're the only person that uh, I saw in the surfing media talk about this. And uh, it's really, it's really good that you're paying attention to this because I feel like surfing can do a lot, a lot of good to the world. And, uh, you know, I think it made me a better person. Maybe I could share with you, like, uh, how I started surfing because this is a big story for all of us um, personally so I live in uh, the south of Tel Aviv it's uh, close to Jaffa one of the most uh, one of the oldest Muslim cities uh, in Israel and uh, also a little bit uh, south from Jaffa um, is like more uh, projects kind of uh, place uh, low socioeconomic neighborhoods with a lot of refugees, um, mostly Eritreans. From, uh, and when I was nine years old, um, my mother kind of uh, took in a mother and a child. Um, and uh, we met them on the park maybe a few days or weeks after they got to Israel. And... Uh, I was there on day one playing with uh, that kid who has seen, you know, horrors that we can't imagine. And he, and he was just a year or two older than me. And uh, I was there on day one playing with him on the bicycle, uh, football. And uh, we really took him into our family, into our school, um, into the community. We did everything we can for them. And uh, I started surfing with this guy. And... Uh, he wasn't super, uh, you know, he was a little bigger than me and stronger than me. And, you know, so he was uh, kind of the inspiration for me to, you know, that it's possible to get better quick. And, uh, you know, that that feeling of, you know, being in the ocean with, uh, with somebody else that has been through a totally different 
life and a very unlucky life and you can both you know be there turning uh you know getting wave after another it's really beautiful and uh i think that's that's one of my core core memories and uh yeah oh man that is a beautiful story brother that is amazing and yeah you know just to be exposed to that at a young age and to have a mother who believed in those values as my mother did and as most mothers do man you know the understanding that we're not all born equal in this world you know some people are born into incredible trauma and suffering and war and they need fucking help man and and you know who's gonna help them it may as well be you it may as well be us it may as well be you know the yeah you may as well do something if you come across a a person like that and and the fact that surfing was your temple uh your synagogue your your mosque whatever you want to call it uh you know there is no better temple there is no holier place in my opinion than than nature and the ocean it it really is the grand healer uh it's the real deal uh it's the it's the only it's the only god that we can prove actually exists because we fucking we play in it and we get charged (laughs) up by it every day so mate this is an incredible story thank you so much for sharing that i i I can tell you right now that that's going to touch a lot of people your story uh everything you've told me today is going to resonate so hard uh, across the surfing landscape. And yeah, uh, mate, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, I, I wish you all the best. Yeah, same, man. I really hope that we get to meet someday, man. And uh, hopefully it's in Australia or anywhere really, but where there's good waves and we can go and play in uh, the, the green cathedral, the grand cathedral that is Mother Nature. All right, man. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, really good talking to you. You're the man, Yodam. Uh, I'll speak to you soon, brother. Take care. See you. Take care. Thank you, brother. Bye. This one's going out to Yodam and anyone else in the world committed to living a life of love, light, and peace. This is the Los Angeles-based Latin American Groove Masters, Ozamatli. Coming up. my heart that goes out to all the people who are struggling around the world to create peace. In this time when there are people who want war and more war, we need to have more people who want peace and more peace and love and an alternative to bring each and every one of us together. This song goes out to the people who have suffered under those conditions. I need you to raise your fists. And raise your fingers in honor